0: But I can say this with certainty, as Jesus came once into the world as our Savior from our sins to love the world with agape, He's gonna come again in a second coming into this world to bring us home, to make this world like God originally intended to be.
1: Having absolute assurance of eternal life. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Jesus is alive. His life, death, and resurrection are a great comfort and assurance for all of us who have lost a loved one. Today, David takes us to the 11th chapter in the Gospel of John in part two of a message called Forever Alive.
0: I was watching um, a baseball game the other day on my phone and uh, I'm a big baseball fan, always have been. I think that's partly because uh, when I had my dad still alive. We loved to watch baseball together. And when I was just a kid, he loved to take me to baseball games here in the city of Charlotte. When we lived here, there was a minor league team called the Charlotte Hornets, believe it or not. The NBA professional team is now called the Charlotte Hornets. There was a Charlotte Hornets baseball team, and Dad used to take me to the games all the time. It was a way for us to connect and spend time together doing something we really loved. So every time I watch a game, I think of Dad, but I also just love to watch baseball. So I'm watching the game, and something happens with my phone. I'm watching a replay, and somehow it flips forward in three seconds to the end of the game. And I'm watching the game and it's like tied one to one and then flips to the end of the game. And I see that my team won three to one. And I'm sitting there going, well, first of all, doggone it. I I was enjoying watching that game and I wanted to see it to the end. But then secondly, I thought, "But but my team won. So you know what I did? I dialed it back to the place where it flipped forward from and I watched the rest of the game. Almost as excited as if I didn't know the end, but not quite, but here's what was cool. I knew the end. I knew my team had won. So even when they went through a bad inning and it looked like the other team was going to score, I went, doesn't matter. They won. Even if it looked like everything was going to fall apart, I said, doesn't matter. They won. Here, Jesus is saying, if you walk with me as the light, when you see that Lazarus is dead, you're going to know that I'm going to raise him from the dead on this side of uh, us journeying toward Bethany. You're going to know before we get there that I win. So enjoy every moment of what you're about to see, because I win the game. Now, verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples One of them was named Thomas. He's also called Thomas Didymus sometimes in the Bible. The word Didymus means twin. Um, He probably had a twin brother or sister. We don't know anything more except that's what his life was like. And interestingly, Thomas immediately when he hears these words says, man, let's go guys. Let's go to Judea, to Bethany, put ourselves right in the backyard of the religious leaders. Let's go on to their home court. You know, we're going to go on to Duke, Cameron uh, Indoor Stadium. We're going to win the game. Let's go, guys. And even if we have to die for him, that's okay. Courage, wouldn't you say? Now, Here's what's so fascinating. When you think of Thomas biblically, what's the one word that connects you to Thomas's nature when you think about him? What is it? Well, if you know your Bible, we most often call Thomas Doubting Thomas because after Jesus' resurrection, uh, many of the disciples assembled together in an upper room, but Thomas was nowhere to be found he had scurried someplace and was trying to piece all this together that this one whom he'd followed for three and a half years nailed to a cross and why had he given his life to this? And then when he came back, Jesus appeared to him and called his name and invited him to touch his hands and his side where he'd been pierced to prove that he was now alive. No evidence Thomas ever did that, but he did call Jesus my Lord and my God and Jesus received his worship. Folks, that's very important. Because if Jesus isn't God, he would say to him, Thomas, don't worship me. I'm just a mere human. But he received Thomas' worship, and he received Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. Personal, my Lord, my God. He knew he believed in and loved a resurrected Jesus, But when you think about Thomas in the history of the church, he's just called Doubting Thomas. You need to know later he went eastward, the only one of the disciples who really went eastward, all the way to India. And if you know your uh, Indian history, that there is a large swath of Christian churches in the southern part of India. And the major one is called St. Thomas Church because the legend is he went there and preached the gospel, ultimately was martyred for his faith there. but. If you make one wrong decision, isn't it interesting how that moniker can be hung on your neck, around your neck? Just one wrong decision and you can be called something you're really not. Well, well, Thomas made one wrong decision and we call him Doubting Thomas. But we can see here and also in his life that he went to India, he was not a doubter. He was courageous. He said, come on, guys, let's go with Jesus. And if we have to die, so be it. He truly understood that when Jesus called him, he said, follow me, and if I'm taken to the cross, you might be taken there too. Thomas understood John 6, where the crowds wanted to crown Jesus king, but Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you're not worthy to follow me. Jesus was saying clearly, you've gotta be willing to die for me. The 5,000 were whittled down to the 12 immediately, and then Jesus looked at them and said, you gonna leave too? And it was Peter who said, Lord, only you you hold the words to eternal life. And they chose to continue to follow him, Thomas among them. Thomas understood what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the martyr during Nazi Germany, who gave his life standing up against Adolf Hitler. He said, when Jesus bids someone to come and follow him, he bids him to come and die. You just need to know that, dear friends, we're honoring our, co- our high school graduates this Sunday, and one of the things I wanna to say to them in the service is, guys, you need to know there's a hostile world out there that believes we were created by chaos, parts of primordial sludge, um, but not by the perfect will of a perfect God in heaven, that, that the two choices in college that you're going to experience over and over again is this world is either chaos, or Christ, either this world is, has no control over it whatsoever or Jesus created this world and he oversees his world. And when he calls people to follow him, he's calling us potentially to be willing even to give our lives for Jesus. As this culture becomes crazier, we're going to need more courageous Christians who are willing to stand up and say, I'm following Jesus. He's my Lord. I believe in Christ, not chaos. What about you? What about you? Do you have Thomas attitude toward following Jesus? That's what he wants all of his followers to have. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Question, why did Jesus wait four days? Well, I think two reasons. First of all, in that day there was a superstition that the soul would hover over the body for three days and then make a decision whether it wanted to re-enter the body or go to heaven. Uh, That was, again, a superstition of that day. So I think Jesus is counteracting that superstition having arrived four days later to say to them, you know what, that's stupid. You don't have that happen in God's kingdom. So he is refuting that particular view. Uh, But I think secondly, it's because every medical specialist knows this to be true. It's on the fourth day that the body begins to putrefy. Now, in Egyptian understanding... um, They would be mummified, and then treasures would be put in, especially if they were kings into their tomb, and it was with the expectation that that body would then go into eternity and they'd be able to take their possessions with them. Of course, we know with kings like King Tut that we've discovered, nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, But in Jesus' day, they would simply bind the body, but put ointments and salves on it, but they'd never tried to mummify it in order to keep it from decomposing altogether. Well... In this particular instance, on the fourth day would be when people would start smelling the body. In fact, in in King James language, um, he stinketh is how Lazarus is described after the fourth day. And that's just to show that Jesus wanted them to know that Lazarus was really dead. He was really, truly dead. They could start to smell the stench in front of his grave as Jesus approached that grave. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. Now, there are two thoughts here. One is that's a good thing, you need a family of God. When you're going through tough times, difficult times, you need a family of God called the church to come around you to console you, that's a good thing. But in Jesus' day, there were also professional mourners. People who were hired to go to grave sites and just wail and cry. Can you imagine? Uh, funerals became a big business where people made a lot of money. And that's what was happening here. There were a lot of mourners around there, probably some genuine family friends and members who to console Mary and Martha, but other professional mourners who were just causing chaos with their constant crying out of sadness and grief. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. There's Martha. Go, go, go. Do, do, do. And Mary just sitting. uh, Maybe she had a more melancholy personality, but she's seated in the house, maybe still trying to wrestle through her grief. Martha doing stuff to get through her grief. She goes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, how many of you have ever said that to Jesus? Jesus if you'd just been with Howard last Thursday you could have kept those complications from happening you know, Jesus if you'd just been present you'd have kept them from firing me from that job I love so much and Jesus if you'd just been there I wouldn't have lost my child Jesus if you'd just been there fill in the blank Martha so human if you had just been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But look at this, verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. You know, that's uh, our family with Howard. We, We said, you know, it looks dire, but we know you're able, Lord. If you want to raise him from the dead, you could do that. You could speak one word and he could be brought back to life. So you see in Martha here, a mixture of If you just, why? I don't understand. And also, but I know you're able to do anything, which is a good perspective on faith. You know God is able, even amidst the questions of why. And by the way, God's a big God. If you have questions of why, you can ask him why. He can receive that. You may not receive the answer immediately, but God's okay with you asking why, just like Martha did here. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again chose this text months ago. And here I am um, on the verge of losing my, my, my big brother. And in preparing this text this week, the Lord just took that verse and leaped it out of the book and placed it in my heart. David, your big brother will rise again. Now, will he rise out of that bed miraculously, supernaturally? I don't know. Or, or the truth is, my brother Howard's in Christ. His life is in Jesus. He loves Jesus dearly. And because of that, the same with you, if you love Jesus, my brother Howard will never die. And Amy's going to put his head down and go to sleep. But when he awakens from that sleep and his body has ceased, he's going to be in the presence of Jesus. Dear friends, do you know you are not a body with a soul? You are a soul with a body. Your citizenship is in heaven. Your soul is eternal. This body is corrupted in sin and will die. It will. It, maybe you'll live for 10 years or 90 years. It doesn't matter. At some point, your body's going to die. The wages of sin is death. The proof that Genesis 3 is true, that sin has corrupted everything, is death. God said to Adam, if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And because of that, death has entered the world. Adam has passed on to all of his progeny. That means everybody on the face of this earth. But if you believe in Jesus, your soul has been born again the eternal life of Jesus, his resurrection glory has been planted in your soul. So, when your body finally wears out and you breathe your last breath, your soul is immediately taken into the presence of Jesus and your eyes in a spiritual way, your spiritual eyes are open, you're in his presence, the presence of loved ones, you will never die. Never. My brother Howard's never gonna die. You know what, I'm never gonna die. My wife Marilyn's never gonna die. My kids are never gonna die because they trust in Jesus. And that's what Jesus said to Martha and is saying to all of us right now, your soul lives forever. Are you more concerned about your tawdry body right now which you quest to have all kinds of different things, feed it and clothe it and make it feel good or are you concerned about your eternal soul which is what lasts forever? Martha said to him in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha parroted what she'd been taught taught in the synagogues and that was a belief in that day that the Pharisees, the religious leaders taught that there will be a last day and everyone will be raised up on that last day. And and remember, this is a joke I share with you to help you understand biblical names. The Pharisees believed in a general resurrection. One day, everybody will be raised up. Not an individual personal resurrection as Jesus taught, but a general resurrection. The Sadducees who were in collusion with the Romans, they did not believe that, and that's why they were sad, you see. It's a terrible joke, I know, but it keeps your interest, doesn't it? The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. They were much more leftist and progressive in their theological overtones. Jesus said to her, verse 25, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Now let's pause a second. This is the fifth of the I am statements Jesus makes in John to prove his claim to be God. The first one, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. The second, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Uh, The third one is found in John 10, 9, I am the door or I am the gate. The fourth one is I am the good shepherd. Jesus says that twice in John 10. And here's the fifth one, I am the resurrection and the life. Just so you'll know, the sixth one is I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except by me. The seventh one is John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, and as we're connected to him, he gives us life like we've never known it before. So here's the set, the fifth one of those seven statements. I am God, the resurrection and the life. I am your hope and resurrection but also your life now. That as I enter your life now, I give you abundant life like you've never known it before. Did you know eternal life begins the minute you accept Jesus? The moment you're born again, eternal life begins and He will let your soul continue to grow and prosper, be conformed to His image because that's His goal for you. He wants you at the end of your life and every day, in fact, to look more and more like Jesus, to conform you to His image. That's His goal. your resurrection, future eternal hope, and your life now. And if you just believe in Him, though you die, your, your body dies, you your spirit, your soul never dies, you'll live.
1: This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with great pointers on when we shouldn't listen too closely to what others are saying about us. We'll be right back.
2: This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, Tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry and and more importantly about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard Quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach, cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard Ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half and and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at org, or they can call me straight up in my cell phone, and i always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on, and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks, too, to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org. And there you can see some of our photo galleries, You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark.
1: I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today.
0: Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well.
1: Well, in this morning's e-devotion, you wrote a Davidism titled, Don't Listen Too Much When They Cheer and Jeer.
0: Well, I got this from Tony Bennett. Charlotte Hornets basketball fans may remember Tony back in the early 90s was a member of those really great Charlotte Hornets teams with Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson. And Tony went on to become a college coach and is now at the University of Virginia and actually won the national championship a couple of years ago. He's a great man of God. Mm -hmm. And he gave me this phrase, but then also reminded me that he got it from his dad, Dick Bennett, who was a very successful coach at University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, and then eventually at the University of Wisconsin himself and took a team to the final four. So it's an interesting Mm -hmm. idea of the dad passes on truths to his son. And then Tony, when we became friends, when he was living here in Charlotte back in the early nineties, we spent some time together and he gave me this phrase and I've never Mm -hmm. forgotten it. Don't pay too much attention when people cheer or jeer. And the point being that people are fickle. You know, if you rely upon people for your sense of identity, you're going to be forever disappointed. So you can try to please people, and when they cheer, you feel great, but people are so fickle, the next day they can start jeering, and you'll feel awful. The great example of that biblically is on Palm Sunday, Jesus had the multitudes cheering, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They thought Jesus was a rock star, a superstar, cheering. Within five days, they're crying out, crucify him. Mm. The very same people who were cheering him five days later were jeering him his death. Again, looking at the fickle hearts of people. The truth is the opinions of people can lay a snare. That's Proverbs 29, 25. We also know from John 12, 43, that the reason the religious leaders plotted to kill Jesus was because they were jealous of the crowds that he was attracting. They were playing to the plaudits of people, and they were jealous when Jesus had all those followers following him, though he didn't care Mm -hmm. about them following him. He's the one who said in John 6, for example, with the 20,000 people he just fed, he said to them the truth of if you're going to follow me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, you've got to give your whole life to follow me. And the 5,000 men, 20,000 people went to 12 in the snap of a finger. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus looked at the 12 and said, you're going to leave now too? And Peter was the one who said, only you, Lord, hold the words to eternal life. Mm. Uh, the truth is, Peter knew that you can't live for Jesus and preach the gospel and expect lots of followers. It's just not going to happen. You follow Jesus no matter what other human beings think or don't think about him. In fact, you may well be persecuted because you follow Jesus. Jesus said that as well in John fifteen twenty. The pupil's not greater than the master. As they treated me, they're going to treat you. In fact, rejection from people might very well be the clue that you're faithfully Mm -hmm. following Jesus. So the truth here today, Jen, is basically don't be a people pleaser. Mm. People are fickle. They make lousy gods, and they will cheer you one day, jeer you the next day, faithfully follow Jesus. So good.
1: I love it. Play for an audience of one. And I almost wish we could just disable that like and dislike function on all these platforms. Isn't that the
0: truth? (laughs) Our followers, the number of followers. It used to be pastors were asked, well, how big's your budget? How many people are coming? Now we're asked, how many followers do you Mm -hmm. have on social media? It's just crazy.
1: Such a good reminder. Thank you so much, David.
0: And everyone, if you'd like to get a moment of hope from me daily, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. There you can subscribe free of charge from my heart to yours to receive daily these moments of hope
1: this has been moments of hope with david chadwick senior pastor of moments of hope church we would love to have you join us for worship this sunday morning we meet at providence day school located at 5800 sardis road in south charlotte at 10 a.m you can find more information on our website momentsofhopechurch.org And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leadership of our country.